This is Radio Maria England, and we now present Poetry for the Season, Lent, with poet Sally Reed. Welcome to Poetry for the Season. Today we have poetry for the passion, language to honour Jesus Christ, to recall and focus our slumbering souls to the magnitude of his suffering and love, language to jolt us, to shock us, and to console us. One poem is from modern times, and three others are from authors from very long ago, the 8th century, the 13th and 14th centuries. Why from so long ago? Well, I think it's broadly true that our ancestors were more able to look on the face of Christ, the true or the truer face of Christ, than we seem able to do. Some people won't like me saying this, but if you can, cast aside the sweetened popular images of Christ looking like a 70s rock star, and think, if you can, of the face of the Turin Shroud, the long bone structure, the large, deep eyes, a face to fall into, to be lost in, a face that has seen and known all, and that sees you and knows you better than you know yourself. Now let's begin our accompaniment of Christ with one of the oldest works of English literature. It dates from the 8th century, and it's not exactly clear who wrote it. It could be Seinwolf or Cadman, but my money is on Cadman, who was probably the earliest English poet. He was a layman who couldn't write a line of poetry until one night someone came to him in a dream and asked him to write about creation. When he awoke, he remembered the lines of poetry he'd composed while asleep and went on to become a monk and a marvellous poet. This long poem is called The Dream of the Rood, and I'm just going to read part of the middle section. Rood is an old word for the cross, and in this poem, the cross itself speaks about its experience of being torn down as a tree, made into a cross, and of having the Christ nailed to himself. There are a few old English words here which I'll fill you in on. Mickle comes up a lot. It means a lot or much. Then durst, as in I durst, is dare. And welkin, a lovely word, is the sky or the heavens. So close your eyes if you can, if you're not driving the car, and listen to a voice from 1,300 years ago, speaking in a voice from the time of the Passion, the voice of the cross. The Dream of the Rood by Cadman, I think, and translated by James M. Garnet. This is from the middle section. Twas long ago, I remember it still, that I was hewn at end of a grove, stripped off from my stem, strong foes laid hold of me there, wrought for themselves a show, bade felons raise me up, Men bore me on their shoulders, till on a mount they set me. Fiends, many, fixed me there. Then saw I mankind's lord, hasten 
with mickle might, for he would stay upon me. There durst I not gainst word of the Lord bow down or break, when saw I tremble the surface of earth. I might then all my foes have felled, yet fast I stood. The hero young begirt himself, almighty God was he, strong and sound of mind. He stayed on the gallows high, bold in sight of many, for man he would redeem. I shook when the hero clasped me, yet durst not bow to earth, fall to surface of earth, but firm I must there stand. A rude was I, upreared, I raised the mighty king, the lord of heaven, I durst not bend me. They drove their dark nails through me, the wounds are seen upon me, the open gashes of guile, I durst harm none of them. They mocked us both together, all moistened with blood was I, shed from side of the man, when forth he sent his spirit. Many have I on that mount endured of cruel fates. I saw the Lord of hosts strongly outstretched. Darkness had then covered with clouds the course of the Lord, the brilliant brightness, the shadow continued, one neath the welkin. There wept all creation, bewailed the king's death. Christ was on the cross. Yet hastening thither, they came from afar to the son of the king, that all I beheld. Sorely with sorrows was I oppressed, yet I bowed neath the hands of men, lowly with mickle might. Took they there almighty God, him raised from the heavy torture, the battle warriors left me to stand, bedrenched with blood, all wounded with darts was I. So powerful and so interesting. I raised the mighty king, the Lord of heaven. I durst not bend me. It's as if the cross instinctively wants to genuflect, to bow down before the Lord, but knows it can't. It has to stay upright and to be the instrument of his torture and death. So it's a kind of strange and paradoxical martyrdom for the cross. I love the way he describes Jesus as a young hero, strong and stern of mind. Anyway, it goes on this poem, and I recommend you look it up and read it. It talks about how the cross comes to be loved and reverenced and is set with jewels. It's a unique poem in the history of literature, and it's worth rereading every Good Friday. Now let's stay with the cross and think about another person who was caught up in the passion, someone who was perhaps rarely thought about, the crucifier himself. I'm breaking with form a bit now because I want to read one of my own poems from my forthcoming book, Dawn of This Hunger. The poems in the book are about our relationship with God, and the central thread goes right through the incarnation from the conception of Mary to post-resurrection. And the poems speak about many events in the voices of many people. The figure of the crucifier has always fascinated me. We know that the centurion at the foot of the cross declared that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, 
But of course, he probably wasn't the only person involved in the physical act of crucifixion. Maybe a lowlier man would have actually done the nailing, the hammering of Christ to the cross. Whoever it was that did this, it's him I'm thinking of. He did it, of course, he did it. But he was under orders, and perhaps had only the vaguest inkling of what it was he was really doing. Or maybe he had no inkling at all. But imagine if he had an inkling, and I, I suspect he did. Imagine how that inkling would have grown over time and how it would have affected him. It's quite chilling. We have all killed Christ. He died for our sins. In a sense, banging nails through the wrists are only a manifestation of this. It seems then absolutely logical that the crucifier would have had some kind of conversion. Here is the crucifier from Dawn of This Hunger, to be published later this year by Angelico Press and read by the poet. <clears throat> the crucifier. As I nailed him, I deafened myself to the shafting of steel through taut wires of tendons, through flesh, past black pain that snuffed out all thought. Did I look into the bottomless eyes and whisper, I was sorry, or did all that come later? Did I let my gaze feed on the faraway hills? The women's crescendo of cries made me go faster. I hammered with duty and tiredness and waited as dark fell on the cross. But in my dreams, I'm still hammering, deaf as wind turns the world over, and I hammer harder, knowing I forge the one still point, like the solderer beating the whitest hot metal. I'm crafting the fulcrum where God's melded with us in our unbending rage. And if I could, in this chaos, I would set all my children safe upon the crux of that nail. Oh my God, how can I bear it? Chosen to be the necessary hurter. I pray to what slipped away in the long grass of our silence, that all I was flipped to goodness on the head of a nail. I can just imagine looking into those bottomless eyes, can't you? The crucifier, like the rood or the cross, is caught up in the story. Suddenly they are central. They are face to face with God, playing out a drama on which hinges the story of humanity. We're staying on that dark hill of Calvary now and gazing on the face of Christ. But no one suffered more witnessing this than his mother. And for this, I want to listen to the words of another monk, a Franciscan friar, Jacopone da Todi. Actually, there is again some doubt that it was he who wrote the poem, but in any case, it dates from the 13th century and has been used for the Feast of the Seven Dollars of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I think that if you're a regular mass-goer, this will be fairly familiar to you. The language and rhyme scheme are very simple, but very poignant. Mary's vigil at the foot of the cross is surpassingly important among all the other vigils because it gives witness to the truest devotion. The novelist Colm Toybin, in his book about Mary, 
which I admit I haven't read and I will not be reading. His Mary does not stay at the foot of the cross. She runs away, which I think says a lot, not just about the author's lack of understanding of Mary, but about his lack of understanding about mothers generally. So this is to honour Mary and all mothers. To honour our mother Mary, who is the glass in which Christ is reflected. Here is Stabat Mater Dolorosa, the sorrowful mother was standing. Translated by Edward Caswell. At the cross, her station keeping, stood the mournful mother weeping close to her son to the last. Through her heart, his sorrow sharing, all his bitter anguish bearing, now at length the sword has passed. Oh, how sad and sore distressed was that mother highly blessed of the sole begotten one. Christ above in torment hangs, she beneath beholds the pangs of her dying glorious son. Is there one who would not weep, whelmed in miseries so deep, Christ's dear mother to behold? Can the human heart refrain from partaking in her pain, in that mother's pain untold? Bruised, derided, cursed, defiled, she beheld her tender child, all with bloody scourges rent. For the love of his own nation, saw him hang in desolation till his spirit forth he sent. O oh, thou mother, fount of love, touch my spirit from above, make my heart with thine accord. Make me feel as thou hast felt, make my soul to glow and melt with the love of Christ my Lord. Holy Mother, pierce me through, in my heart each wound renew of my Saviour crucified. Let me share with thee his pain, who for all my sins was slain, who for me in torments died. Let me mingle tears with thee, mourning him who mourned for me all the days that I may live. By the cross with thee to stay, there with thee to weep and pray, is all I ask of thee to give. Virgin of all virgins blessed, listen to my fond request. Let me share thy grief divine. Let me to my latest breath in my body bear the death of that dying son of thine. Wounded with his every wound, Steep my soul till it hath swooned in his very blood away. Be to me, O virgin, nigh, lest in flames I burn and die in his awful judgment day. Christ, when thou shalt call me hence, be thy mother my defence, be thy cross my victory. While my body here decays, may my soul thy goodness praise, safe in paradise with thee.
make my soul to glow and melt with the love of Christ our Lord. Isn't that absolutely lovely? Well, all this looking on Jesus' suffering, what good does it do us? <laughs> the obvious answer is it reminds us of his love for us. The passion is God weeping at the state of the world. He weeps and suffers with us and for us. Julian of Norwich well knew that. Julian was the first published woman writer in the English language, and she is, I believe, the greatest mystic ever to have lived and written. And she is also, I believe, a natural-born poet. She didn't write any poems as such, just to be clear. She only wrote her short and long texts, describing the visions she had of Christ during a life-threatening illness. But those texts are so full of poetry that they're really like one long poem. Her description of the passion is powerful. In one part, she describes his blood falling down in drops from his head as being like pills, and then like herring scales on his forehead, and then like water pouring from eaves. It's so vivid. His suffering is so graphically depicted. And I want to read you now a condensed part where she's been beholding his agony, and she suddenly realises something crucial for her and for us. She's fixed on the cross, or rather on a crucifix on her bedroom wall, when she kind of hears the voice telling her to raise her eyes to heaven. But she says she dare not, she durst not. Let's listen to what she then realises. From Revelations of Divine Love, by Julian of Norwich, translated by Grace Warrack. In this time, I would have looked up from the cross, but I durst not, for I wist well that while I beheld in the cross, I was surely safe. Therefore, I would not assent to put my soul in peril, for away from the cross was no sureness. Then had I a proffer in my reason, as if it had been friendly said to me, Look up to heaven, to his father. And then saw I well, with the faith that I felt, that there was nothing betwixt the cross and heaven that might have harmed me. I answered inwardly with all the might of my soul and said, Nay, I may not, for thou art my heaven. This I said, for that I would not, for I would liever have been in that pain till doomsday than to come to heaven otherwise than by him. Thus was I learned to choose Jesus to my heaven, whom I saw only in pain at that time. Me liked no other heaven than Jesus, which shall be my bliss when I come there. And this hath ever been a comfort to me, that I chose Jesus to my heaven by his grace in all this time of passion and sorrow, and that hath been a learning to me, that I should evermore do so. Choose only Jesus to my heaven, in weal and woe. I choose Jesus to be my heaven, and that's what we are called to do this week, and especially on Friday. There's so much in Julian that's good to read at this time of year. As she witnesses Christ's passion, he says to her that if he could suffer more for her, he would. That to die for her and humanity was a joy and a delight and an endless happiness. The magnitude of his pain is matched only by the magnitude of his love. 
The passion and the resurrection are the nub of history, the key to our lives and salvation. Our eyes must be fixed on that beautiful face that was so derided and despised. Let's really try to see his face this week. Let's stay with Mary at the foot of the cross and help her as he's taken down and laid in the tomb. Let's get up at dawn on Easter Sunday and go to the tomb with Mary Magdalene before even the birds are awake. Because remember, you are a part of this poem, the greatest in history. See you next week when we'll sing of his rising. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on Radio Maria England with Poetry for the Season Lent, presented by Sally Reed. This episode will be rebroadcast on Tuesday at 9.30am and again at 11.15pm, on Wednesday at 1pm and 8pm, on Saturday at 5.30am and 2pm, and Sunday at 1am. You can also hear this as a podcast on our website, radiomariaengland.uk or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify and other podcast providers. Please do subscribe.